This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. If you're in here, I want to ask you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. We're going to see the beauty and the power of the gospel in the first seven verses of Romans 15. One more time, Romans 15, and we're going to be starting at verse 1. This is the first week of a new series that even though we've not been in it for a minute yet, I already think is going to feel too short. Uh, We're calling this Welcomed by Jesus, and the point of this series is to see how wide the offer of God's grace is and how astounding it is to be a Christian, not only because we are invited into the family of God ourselves, but it's actually God's plan to use us together so that more and more people would come into his grace and that we would all experience the grace of God together. So this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how incredible it is that Jesus welcomes us And then for three more weeks, it's only a four-week series, like I said, it's going to be too short, we're going to see three different places the kind of people that Jesus invites in and welcomes close to him. And we'll do that by looking at three meaningful meals that Jesus shared with sinners. Broken, beaten down, Men and women who thought there was no hope for them, no future for them, nothing at all good for them, and then Jesus invites them to come close and sit with him. And he says to people like that, who feel like the world is against them, who feel like there's nothing good for them in it, Jesus says, it's actually you that I've come for. Come in with me. So this is four weeks for sinners and sufferers, those who need hope, those who are looking for peace and rest. This is how Jesus welcomes us. So look now at Romans 15, starting at verse 1. I'm going to read 1 to 7. We're really only going to be in 7 this morning. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, and through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Every verse in this is so good. 
but verse 7 has to be one of the most remarkable, steadying verses in the whole Bible. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. We do that for the glory of God. Uh, Here's here's what I love about about that verse. Uh, First, it's the culmination of everything that's come before it. So it says, therefore, and, and by that I mean the culmination. It's the culmination of the previous six verses of Romans 15, but even more so, it's the culmination of the entirety of, of Romans. Paul's, the Apostle Paul's epistle to the Romans is the single greatest explanation of how it is possible for a holy God to love lowly sinners to such a degree that he would devise and execute a plan to trade his life, the life of his only son, so that helpless sinners could be seen as possessing the righteousness necessary to come into God's presence and be gifted with sonship and daughtership in an everlasting kingdom. There's never been anything clearer or more helpfully written than Romans. And the culmination to the greatest piece of theology ever written, there's really not that much left of Romans. There's probably like a a page or even a half a page in your Bible left of Romans. So the apex of this gospel, what do we do? What does, therefore, because of this great gospel, welcome one another. Christ has welcomed you. And so, so let's, just, let's just take 30 minutes together and let's just marvel that that is the apex of the gospel, is to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. So that's the, that's the first thing I love about that verse. Second thing, second thing I'm in awe of here, Christ does the welcoming. Now we're told to welcome one another, but we're told to do that as Christ has welcomed us. The New Testament was written in Greek. The Greek word for welcome used here quite literally means to take to one's self. And then it's used in something called the middle voice. It's a little bit difficult to translate. We don't have a true middle voice in English. So the the closest equivalent that we have is to take something that's usually active, like welcoming, and then to put sort of a passive spin on it. So that's kind of how you get this construction that we have as Christ has welcomed us. Welcome's an active thing, but to welcome someone, we've kind of put a passive spin on it to try to translate it. And and that's how you get as Christ has welcomed you. The, The problem is when you translate something that's pretty impossible to translate fully, you often lose some of the power that it was originally written with. So in Greek... That middle voice, which we don't have, shows action and intention all at the same time. And, And that means when it's applied to Jesus, we can have this picture that when it says that Jesus has welcomed us, Jesus is not just standing at a door waiting to open it should somebody approach that door. He's actually out in the street ushering people toward the door. Uh, We don't do this as much in America, uh, but I have an 
I've been other places in the world where it is not uncommon for people just to start offering you services in the hopes that then you'll start paying them for that. And so um, in India, I have a lot of good Indian friends, love this country, beautiful, vibrant country. Uh, One thing that we just don't do here is you'll walk down a street there with restaurants and men will just be standing out in front of the restaurant and then we'll just start talking to you and then they will just kind of start start, start ushering you in to the restaurant like you're going to eat there. That's how they go out and they they find people to eat at the restaurant. Uh, My wife was in Jamaica one time she was walking with a, a group of friends and all of a sudden a man just sort of appeared in front of them and started telling them all about the buildings that they were seeing and the history of that town and told them two or three stories and then turned around and wanted a tip for being their tour guide. They didn't sign up for the tour. That wasn't part of it. He just decided, I'm going to be their tour guide. That's closer to the use of the middle voice for the way that Jesus welcomes us. He's not waiting around to see if you're going to walk up the sidewalk and come in. He's gone out to the street to get you. He's prepared a magnificent place for you, and he's going to make sure you know where it is and that it's ready for you. Third thing I love about these verses, about this verse 7. We get to be an active part of God receiving glory. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And there are lots of ways to see the glory of God. You can look at the ocean. You can stand on the south rim of the Grand Canyon. You can see, if you've been paying attention, the pictures that the James Webb Telescope is starting to transmit back to us on Earth. You can see and hear a baby being born, all of those things glorify God. But one of the most overlooked ways that you can see the glory of God is when you welcome somebody else like Jesus welcomes them. And folks, there actually isn't a ranking here. Some of the canyons out west leave you without too many words. Some of these pictures from the space telescope are incredible. But you can see just as much of the glory of God in this room right now when we gather to do this than you can when you see stars going supernova. Or then you look at the intricacies of a cell in the human body. When we welcome people like Jesus does, God is most glorified. He does that by dropping pretexts. Jesus does by being open. Jesus looks for people that other people won't look for, that look unlovely, that people don't think that, that they, can, they have something to give me. And Jesus welcomes people by saying, I'm not going to wait for you to come to me. I'm going to go out and I'm going to get you. Jesus comes right for us. So to help us see the kind of welcome that Jesus gives us and that we can give to other people, I'm just going to tell you five things about it. And if five points seems like a lot of points because I already made three points, yeah, I guess that's possible. But they'll go quick. And there's a lot of repetition here, and you see why I chose these five things. Here are five things about the kind of 
welcome that Jesus gives to people and how it works and how we can do it, but we need to learn these five things. So of the way Jesus welcomes us, it goes like this. Number one, God plans it. God plans the welcome. Number two, God starts it. Number three, God does it. Number four, God sustains it. Number five, God perseveres it. Hear that? You hear how it works? God does it, or God plans it, God starts it, God does it, God sustains it, God perseveres it. Do you hear why God gets the glory when we welcome people like Jesus does? Because it's his work. Because it's his gospel in motion. Because it's practicing grace like he alone can give. This is how the gospel works. The more you learn and the deeper you dive into the grace of God, the more you will see that it doesn't start with you. It's not accomplished by you. It's not even held by you. It's that God works his grace. God gives his grace. God keeps you and endures you in his grace. It's all for his glory because it's all a work of him. There's no part of him saving you where he is looking at you going, okay, your turn now. I had that part, but now you step up this time. And that's the best news possible. Because it means that no matter what you do, no matter what I've done, or even what we will do, nothing will put the love of God in jeopardy for you. That's how come we can say that the gospel is not just kind of a plan of God for generic humanity, but the gospel is God's specific plan for all those who are in Christ. And so if you're in Christ, the gospel isn't just God's plan for the world. It's true. But the gospel is God's plan for you. And there's nothing you're going to do where God will say, wow. Um, okay, I didn't, I didn't see that coming. That changes everything. You know, no more grace, no more justification, no more salvation for you. No. God says, this was always my plan and I can see the end from the beginning. So my plans, when I make them, are as already done. And that's why I can say that of the gospel, of his grace, God plans it, God starts it, God does it, God sustains it and then God perseveres it because he already knows the way things end. And he has said, I will keep you in my grace. So when it comes to welcoming each other like God welcomes us, here's what that means. We can welcome each other fully because if God's plan was that we would be saved And if God's plan was that we would be here and we would be together, if that's true for us, then it will be absolutely just as true and it could be for somebody else too. So the translation range of that word for welcome uh, is pretty wide throughout the rest of the New Testament. It's used used often enough that it's, it's kind of a common word. So literally I said it means to take to oneself, but it could also mean something like to make someone your companion. 
And there's a notable level of hospitality to making somebody your companion, isn't there? To taking somebody to yourself. So, so you can come over to my house. You can come to the door, ring the doorbell, and I'll open the door and I'll say, hey, thanks so, so much for coming. I'm, I'm glad you're here. Why don't you come in? And, and I could pull out some leftovers and we could put them in the microwave and we could have something to eat together. That's a, that's a welcome that I could give. Or I could ask you to come. And I can say, when's the time that I can prepare for you and I can plan for you? I want you to come to my house and I, w- I want to show you my hospitality. I can think about something special that I can make you to eat and I can plan a time for us to enjoy one another's company. The second kind of welcome is what this word has in mind. And we can welcome people like that for two really big reasons. Uh, Number one, because God welcomes you like that. And he's the king. And if you're good enough for him to plan to welcome from before the foundation of the world, then you can look for other people here and other places you go and you can welcome them in that same profound way as well. And the second, second reason we can welcome people like that is that we're told that we glorify God when we welcome one another like Jesus does. So I don't know a single Christian who doesn't want to glorify God. All the Christians I know want to glorify God. But what I do know is there are a lot of Christians walking around asking, well, well, how is God calling me to glorify him? And sometimes they make this question way too complicated. They're looking for a special revelation. They're looking for something ultra-specific. They're looking for something grand that will be noticeable by many, many people. So there are other things that you can and should do to glorify God. Absolutely. But this is so clear, church. You glorify God by the way that we welcome and love one another. If you want to know, how as a Christian do I glorify God right now after we're done here, you can walk up to somebody, you can engage them with a biblical hospitality and tell them you love them in Christ and you're glad they're here. That will glorify God. And it's so simple. Jesus said, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You do not have to preach to large crowds. You do not have to share the gospel in hard places. You do not have to go overseas. Those are all really good things. And you should do some of them. But all of us together can glorify God in a really significant way by welcoming each other like Jesus does. But even the incredible thing is, is even the way we love each other, that's not something that we do on our own. God starts that... And we follow him in it. So it's not even up to you to start welcoming people and hope that God kind of takes it from there. We have a role each to play, but it starts from him. And how, do, how does that work? So just look at, look at our church. We're so much more. This is so much more than a group of people who've come together just on a Sunday morning. So today's the first day of the Bears season. In Soldier Field, over 60,000 people will gather today. That's a huge crowd. Far less people are here than will be there. But hear me really well on this. What we're doing right now is so 
much more significant than what those 60,000 people do at Soldier Field in a few hours. This brings glory to the God of the universe and how we are together shows how magnificent he truly is. And just think of all that God did to make this happen. He could have put you anywhere this morning, but he chose to bring you here, not to watch a football game or eat nachos, but to glorify him and to be, and to be part of something that lasts forever. Do you understand that? What, what we do right now is a rehearsal of what lasts forever. Fellowship of the church, the worship of his name, and welcoming. Jesus isn't going to stop welcoming you once you get to heaven. It's not like, well, now you're here. The welcome has stopped. Jesus will welcome you because of the truth of the gospel forever and ever and ever. All that's possible because God gives the Son. I want to show you something else. So turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 5. You're going to go over a few books into Ephesians chapter 5. And we're going to start at verse 25. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 25 says this, of Christ and the church. 525, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. So if if somebody says, well, how, how does Jesus welcome people? What's a really simple answer to that question? The answer is he gives himself to the church, to Christians, to you and me and us together completely. And he chose to do that, to give himself up, because we're lost without him. But now we can rest secure, because anyone found in Christ will never be lost again. And then it says that we're we're sanctified in Christ. Being sanctified in Christ is an ongoing work, but it's also a present, finished reality. It's our position Because Jesus traded his life for ours, we can be seen even though we're not done in the work of progressive sanctification. In the eyes of God, we can be seen as fully sanctified. Sanctified means to be holy or or pure, purified. Jesus was was without spot or blemish. And so in the eyes of God, now anybody who is in Jesus is now also seen in just that same way. So if you are in Christ, if you believe in Jesus, you are seen by God without spot, wrinkle, or any such thing. And the great news about that is is if you feel shame, if you have guilt, if you wonder if you are lovable by God or by somebody else, because of Jesus, you don't have to wonder anymore. He's lifted the shame and the guilt off of you, He's made you holy and he's purified you and he has made you completely lovely. You are very lovable because of what Jesus has done for you. And it's what he will keep doing for you. Once we're in Christ, he never lets us go. If you're you're anything like me though, you can hear that and you can still sometimes feel like a failure. 
You can still feel like you've let God down, like you've let other people down, that you haven't lived up to the glory of God that he has given you in Christ. And that's why it's so important for us to come together each week regularly to remind each other of what God has done to welcome us. God doesn't just save us through the gospel. He sustains us that way. Here in Ephesians 5, it says that we're sanctified and that Jesus cleansed us, being the church, and it says that he he cleansed us by washing of water with the word. What does that mean? Washing of water with the word. Now, Now, some interpreters think that's a reference to baptism when you're immersed in water. And, and, and that might be part of it. But I think the greater way that this shows us how Jesus cleanses the church is through the ongoing washing of the church with the word. In, in other words, it's by the repetition of the gospel that Jesus reminds us who we are in him. Uh, the word that it says here in Ephesians 5 is most clearly summarized in, in just the gospel, in the good news of Jesus. And so the purpose of us coming together every Sunday, the purpose of, of when we, we get together with, with other Christians, is so that we are regularly, routinely bathed in the grace of God. Because it's so easy to feel like a failure. Because it's so easy to fail like we've blown it again. Because it's so easy to feel like we're out there on our own. We need to regularly come back together and be washed by the word of God's grace. And follow me in this. It's not because we've gotten dirty. I don't want you to go, go through the week thinking, I've gotten grimy and now I need to be washed and clean. You have been cleaned. Grime no longer sticks to you. The stain of sin no longer is borne by your body. So when we're coming together, it's not to be washed clean once again. It's to be reminded that God has already made us clean. So that when we begin to feel shame, when we begin to feel guilt, when when the, the cares of the world weigh us down, we can remember that our position is sanctified in God's grace. And so we need to be washed in the word, not because we need to be cleaned every week but because it's so easy to forget that we already have been. The picture in Ephesians 5 is is from marriage. Uh, And and even though my wife and I are committed to one another and we we love each other and we're we're bound together, it can be easy to forget that and to sometimes just feel like I'm on my own. And so Holly and I need time together to remember what God has done done for us and and that he's given us to each other. So we need to spend time together. We need to regularly cultivate the richness of our marriage. And it's the same thing for Christians being washed in the gospel. It's not that we've stepped outside of the gospel or that the gospel has somehow grown weaker as if on Sunday our our gospel battery is recharged and by, or, or on Sunday the gospel battery is recharged and by Saturday the gospel battery is weak so we need to be plugged in again. No, the gospel doesn't grow weak. It's as strong as it's ever been. It's us who gets weak. It's us who gets distracted. It's us who gets beaten up and and beaten down. And one of the ways that God's sustaining grace is brought to us 
is to just be regularly reminded of what he's done for us in Jesus. And so God sees to it that we're washed in the word because he loves us. And he doesn't want us to get confused or mistakenly believe that it's just us on our own against the world. That we're always in his grace. That wherever we go, whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, there is God with us, and there are we in his grace. That brings us to the last thing that Jesus does for us as part of his welcome. He perseveres in his welcome. Jesus is unwavering in the way that he reaches out to you. There's nothing you're going to do that will make Jesus walk back into the house, lock the door, close, you know, turn off the lights and close the blinds and say, I hope they don't realize that I'm home. He will always come out. He always comes down the walk and he always invites you in. And the great thing about Jesus is that he's God. Nothing is hidden from his sight. He's not surprised. When it comes to your sin, he doesn't recoil in disgust. He actually said, I didn't come for a people who were well. I came for a people who were sick. I mean, who says that? He could have just as easily said, I didn't come for the easy. I didn't come for the pious or the put together. I came for whatever's the opposite of that. And God doing all of this is miraculous. But I think that that seeing that the welcome of Jesus perseveres is is my favorite part. It means that he's not going to change his mind. It means that once you've come into his grace, you will never leave it. So go back to Romans 15, 7 one more time. Welcoming one another as 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 Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. We glorify God when we look what Jesus has done to us and we look for ways to do that with other people. So how can we do that? If we want to obey and follow and delight in these words, how do we do that just kind of practically, tangibly, Sunday mornings, beyond Sundays? Uh, Let me give you a few ideas for how we welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. Uh, Number one would be to make sure we're welcoming new people. And now that can be people new to the church or just new to you that you don't know. Uh, One of the things that you will see is the more you read the scriptures you will see how God is glorified most often by things that aren't normal to the rest of the world. And so normally and naturally, people who have a lot in common hang around together. Similar jobs, education, ethnic, social background, hobbies, whatever. But what glorifies God is when people in the church come together and even though they might not look much alike, They're not the same age. They don't come from the same place. Almost nothing else in the world would draw them together. 
but they come together and say that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And that gives them more in common. It gives us more in common than anything like birthplaces or our educational background or our job or our hobbies or whatever else would. And so make sure that you are welcoming new people. It gives God incredible glory when people who have nothing in common, according to the world's way of linking people up, will come together and say, we've got everything great in common because we're in Christ together. So welcome people new to you. Second thing, I want to suggest welcoming to us as as we welcome people like Christ. Is I want to say how important it is for us to look for ways to serve one another and to defer to the desires of each other. So the second verse we read this morning, 15.2, said that we should look to please our neighbors because that builds them up and that's what Christ has done for us. And we can do that here together. We can do that as we leave. But it's so powerful to say, you know what? That's really not my preference. But what I really care about more than my preferences more than pleasing myself, what I really love is that God has made people differently and so it gives me great joy to see somebody else who thinks differently and prefers differently have something that they enjoy, have something that they like, serve them in a way that's, that's meaningful or significant to them. And so it, it gives God great glory when we can say, I can lay down my own preferences because I can see that something is important And for the sake of others, this is a great way. Jesus laid down all, it says in Philippians 2, uh, of his rights and attributes as the king of the universe to be made in in the form of a human. And so we can certainly do that for one another. It gives God great glory when we serve and uh, please our neighbors and not ourselves because that builds them up in Christ. So a third way that we can welcome people the way Jesus does is by hoping the best about people. And then looking at people as optimistically as possible. So the truth is that you and I, apart from Christ, are not much to look at. But in Christ, we're sanctified, holy, lovely. When God creates you and saves you, he sees what's worst about you. But he gives himself for you anyways. God has not been surprised by your lowest points. And the grace of God will be most evident among us when we're seeing people in that same way. Not believing that who they are is them at their worst, but seeing who God made them to be in Christ. And and wrapped up in that is believing that the intentions and the motives and the desires of our brothers and sisters in Christ are good and are for God's glory. And at least until we're given clear reason to believe otherwise, to believe that the way that somebody's reacting to us, that something they said, that something they've done, was not meant to hurt us, but is simply a misunderstanding. So th- this, one, this one in particular just really breaks my heart. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with Christians where it, it just comes down to this. They're believing the worst about a brother or sister in Christ. And they're simply not looking at them as Christ does. You you could just really simply say they're just not giving them the benefit of the doubt. 
So let's look at people like Jesus does. If you've been offended by somebody, maybe that's real. But it will change your perspective radically if you can simply say, I'm sure they didn't mean to offend me because I know that they love Christ and I'm going to start out at least believing that they love me. And so I'm simply going to go to them and I'm going to say, I was offended by this. Could you clarify what you meant? I've never had a conversation, just to lay it out there, I've never had a conversation where I've said, I was offended by this. Could you clarify what you meant? And somebody said, no, you, you read that pretty much right. I wanted to offend you in that. I've never had that conversation. And I'm guessing, maybe, I'm guessing maybe you've had it once in your life, if at all. Probably never, though. You're probably like me. Somebody's probably said, I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me? I, that, that was not at all my intention. Because here's the deal. Brothers and sisters in Christ do not look for ways to hurt each other. We simply don't. So let's look at people the way that Jesus does. Full of hope. Fourth one, last one. Let's make it normal to be okay sharing our weaknesses. Instead of returning any kind of condemnation or judgment, let's return to people when they've shared their weaknesses with us, grace, mercy, and love. Nothing will kill trying to welcome people like Jesus does if this is a place where we can't be honest, we cannot be honest versions of ourselves. What you're weak with and what I'm weak with, and there's plenty, is already known to Jesus, yet he's welcomed you anyways. So let's just be that way with each other. Folks, there's nothing more liberating than feeling like you can share what is weighing you down and what you're afraid of, knowing that you're not going to be condemned for it, but that somebody else will try to wash you in the words of God's grace through it. There's nothing more comforting and helpful than that, than knowing that if I share what it is that is truly weighing on my heart, somebody will say, God loves you, and so do I, and God's grace may rest upon you. This takes time, but but here's how you do it. I'm just going to tell you really quickly how you hear about the weaknesses of others and return to them the grace of God. Uh, When somebody tells you something that's hard for them, don't try to minimize it, explain it away, and even resist the urge to try to fix it. Just tell them you love them and that God is with them and that you're not going anywhere as their friend. That's all you've got to do. I love you, God is with you, and I'm not going anywhere. And then here's what you do. You pray for them right then and there. You ask them what they need. Maybe even think of a way that you can just brighten their day. And then you text them the next day to see how they're doing. I know that doesn't sound like much, but to somebody who has just been really, really vulnerable, that's everything. That's everything for somebody to just say, I have bared myself to you. And you have blessed me. And really all you're going to give me is your love and a follow-up text. That is everything to somebody who's just made themselves open to you. Folks, that's how Jesus welcomes us. There is nothing you can confess to him that will make him turn his back on you. In fact, with everything, everything you bring to him, 
He will say, I love you. I am God and I am with you. I will give you all that you need and I'll be here tomorrow too. Church, that glorifies God when Christ does it for us and it glorifies God when we do it for one another. I can't get over this. I I just can't get over this in this verse and I really believe it. God is just as glorified by by what we have the chance to do each Sunday morning together, being together, welcoming one another in this way. God is just as much glorified in that as he is in the, the big evangelistic rally in the stadium. Or when the millionaire donates more money than you and I will, will ever have to some, make some ministry possible. Or when a new galaxy is discovered. God's just as much glorified when we do here. I really believe, I, I just can't, I can't move past that. I don't want to move past that. I, I almost spend my life not moving past that. So welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you, for that glorifies God. Let's pray together. God, a simple prayer. Thank you for welcoming us fully in Christ. May we welcome one another that way. And may we bring you much, much glory. Amen. Our Savior is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words. Building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about this vision and our hope for our neighborhood, visit us online at osefc.org.